You know, I I hate it when God doesn't answer my prayers when I want Him to. Uh, sometimes it's kind of a minor annoyance if the issue I prayed about isn't a very big thing. Uh, but sometimes, if we're if we're honest, we can probably all tell at times when we pray for a certain thing to be done, we pray for a certain circumstance to change, and either it didn't happen at all, or it didn't happen when we wanted it to. And uh, this is not a new thing. It happens to us today. It happened back in Bible times. And if somebody is predisposed against the Lord, and they see a circumstance in life where uh, you know a believer prays and 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 this this person that doesn't care too much for God, they see the believer praying. They know that they're praying for certain things to happen in a certain time frame, and then it doesn't. Uh, oftentimes, those people will use that as an opportunity to ridicule people of faith. But I tell you, sometimes what we see as a no in an answer to our prayers, sometimes it's simply a delay on the part of God to answer. But why would God do that? Have you ever wondered that? Why would God delay to answer His people whom He loves? Well, that's, there's, a lot, there's a lot of stuff wrapped up in that question. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to answer it at least in part with our, with our text today. We're going to be in John chapter 11. And we're going to read a very famous account. It's the, the account of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And if you're, if you're familiar with the story, you might have some idea where I'm going with this. Uh, but as I say this passage this week, I was just struck with how much deep truth there is, practical stuff, in the plot of, these, uh, in the plot of this family. And the reason that we're looking at this passage today, of course, we, we had been towards the beginning of the Gospels, and here we are jumping towards the end of Jesus' ministry. And the reason that we're doing that is because I want to prepare us for Easter. You see, a lot of times, you know, next Sunday is, is Palm Sunday, I believe. And, and then we, we get into the whole crucifixion scene and, and re- resurrection. And many times we, we talk about that, but it kind of comes out of the blue, doesn't it? I mean, with, with Christmas, we prepare. Don't we? We, we, we have Advent and, uh, and, and we... we Weeks and months out, we're, we're thinking about what we're going to do at, at, at Christmas. We're making plans. We're buying presents. But Easter, the pivotal point of the Christian faith is the resurrection of Christ. But when Easter comes along, many times we don't even think about it until like two weeks beforehand. And so what I want to do is I want to try to set it up. How do we get to the point where everybody is so happy Jesus has come to Jerusalem? And how did the, the religious leaders get to the point where they wanted him dead? And as you read the Gospels, you can't help but, but notice there are times when Jesus would work a miracle, when he would do a certain teaching, and, and the religious leaders would get together to plot how they were going to kill him, how they could ensnare him at the very least. Well, today what we're going to do is we're going to look at what was the tipping point, the straw that broke the camel's back. In doing this miracle, Jesus essentially signed his death warrant with the Jews. And so to, to set the stage for Easter, I want to look at this today. Now the passage is a long one and all of it is significant and so I don't feel there's any pa- uh, verses that we can uh, kind of skip. So as we read it I want you to be paying attention but I want you to pay attention especially that, that we should trust Jesus when it seems that he's delaying to answer our prayers because he not only enters into our pain but he'll use that delay as an opportunity to strengthen our faith and to bring extra glory to God. It's my hope that this, this message will encourage somebody that hears it because we all face stuff, don't we? We all have stuff going on. Maybe it's in our own families. Maybe it's in our extended families. 
uh, a friend of ours is going through stuff. And I, I wanted to, to strengthen our faith. I wanted to encourage us because we all face stuff. And if you're not facing stuff now, you either have been recently or you probably will be soon. And so hopefully this will, this will be an encouragement to you. Why don't you stand with me as we uh, read John chapter 11. And we're going to start in verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, The sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to, Ju to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. And I just want to pause for a second. We always talk about doubting Thomas. We always kind of kind of frown and shake our heads because after the resurrection, he didn't believe unless he'd see and, and touch Christ with his own eyes and, and touch him with his own hands. And yet here he is. He's willing to go to the death with, with Jesus. I think that's pretty commendable. Anyway, verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to, Mary, uh, to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, uh, when they saw that Mary got up and went out, got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with uh, with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said. Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, 
see how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not this man who, who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept... Um, some of them said to him, verse 37, and I'll try it again. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was laying against it. Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him, let him go. Therefore many of the Jews who, who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Thank you. Be seated. Now the first thing that I see in this passage, and especially in the first, uh, the first four verses, is that we need to come to Jesus with our problems. Come to Jesus with our problems. Now John opens this chapter with, uh, with a very simple phrase, but it's really a problem. It says that Lazarus is sick. And he identifies uh, Lazarus, if you look in verse 1 again, he identifies him as Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like I know Mary and Martha a little bit, don't you? But they only show up a couple times in the Gospels. The reason that I feel like I know them is because of Luke's Gospel, and that's where we read about Jesus and the disciples going to Mary and Martha's house. Uh, I, I think they probably went there often. But the, the account that, that Luke records... You remember Martha is all busy trying to get things ready and, and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus and she's listening to what Jesus is saying and she gets and Martha gets mad at her. She's beating and banging around in the kitchen, I think, slamming pots and pans, trying to get Mary to get off her duff and come in there and help. And finally, she can't stand it anymore. She comes in and says, Jesus, tell Mary to help me. And what does Jesus say? She's choosing the better thing. Martha, what you're doing is good, but she's choosing the better thing. What she's doing will not be taken from her. And so we kind of get a glimpse of, uh, of this family kind of a glimpse of their personalities. But as we read this, when we, we read John 11, the picture that we get is of this family who loves Jesus. And it says over and over again in John 11 that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus all love Jesus and that He loved them back. And, and I can imagine that He spent a fair share of time in their home. We probably have all had those people, maybe as younger in life or something like that, but we, we probably had those people whose homes we just like to go to. I remember when I was a kid, every Sunday I had a friend I, I went to church with. Every Sunday I'd, I'd go to Dad. Dad, can I go to this person's house? They come to my house. He'd say, go ask your mom. Mom, play the piano. So I had to go up to the piano before church started. Mom, can so-and-so come to the house? Can I go to their house? Go ask your dad. And I was back and forth. But I got a good workout in church. But you know, we've had those, we've had those people. And, and as adults, we're fortunate if we have those, 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 those families, those people, we like to go to their house. It's just that, that, that atmosphere. And that's the kind of place that Jesus had at this, at this family's house. And that fact highlights his seeming indifference to Lazarus' illness. Because the Bible doesn't tell us what is wrong with Lazarus. It just says that he's sick. But whatever it was, it proved to be a fatal sickness. 
And so they send word to Jesus, their brother's sick. Now, if we, I, I probably should have had a map up here, but if you were to look at the distances and stuff like that, and if you put together that with the time frame that's mentioned in the Scriptures, probably what happened was Mary and Martha sent this messenger out to Jesus on day one. Soon after the messenger left, Lazarus died. Okay, so you have about a day of travel time. Lazarus died because it's, it's a very hot climate over there. Many times they would bury their, their dead the same day they died because well, it's the desert and they're going to start stinking. And so they bury him while that, that guy is going to tell Jesus. The guy tells Jesus, that's day one. Jesus stays where he is two days, that's the third day. Then another day of travel time, get back up there to Mary and Martha. So most likely he died the same day that Jesus found out uh, the, or the same day the messenger left. And it's amazing to me, if you'll notice in the first, uh, the first verses, look at verse 3. What, it says that, So the sister sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And it's amazing to me how they treat the Lord because they didn't ask him to come. You know, they, they say that um, a friend is one that will come over at the drop of a hat if you ask him to, but a good friend comes over you, and you don't have to ask. Jesus is a good friend. And so they say, Jesus, he whom you love is sick. They thought it was enough that Jesus know. And it's, it's amazing to me, they didn't say, Jesus, come up here and help him. They didn't say, Jesus, we, we know you turn water into wine. You could just, will it happen? Will it happen? They didn't say, we know because you spoke the word and healed the centurion servant without ever going to see to see the servant just speak the word and he'll be made well they didn't do any of that they thought it was just enough that Jesus know and I think that's a great example for us I remember we, we looked at water being turned into wine a, a couple weeks ago Mary she didn't come to Jesus saying I want you to, to do this certain miracle she just said they have no wine they say Lazarus the one whom you love is sick they're not dictating how God should answer the prayer so they're just saying here's the request they knew that he loved Lazarus, and they thought, if you know and you love him, that's enough. And I think that's an encouragement to us because God loves us. And whatever needs we have in our hearts, we should bring those to him. Nothing is too big or too small to lay at his feet. And not, not bring it in and tell him what to do with it, but trust that his answer is going to be the right one. So, so bring your petitions, bring your needs, bring your requests the Lord and when we do this we need to remember here's the second point that when Jesus delays it's to enhance his glory and strengthen our faith and we see that in verses 5 to 16 it's to enhance his glory and strengthen our faith now Jesus hears Lazarus is sick do you think that's news to him no he's God he knows what's going to happen he knows he knows Lazarus is sick he knows what's going to happen before it ever before it ever transpires but then we have what's on the surface one of the strangest, most difficult to understand verses in the Bible if you don't read it carefully. Look back at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse 6. So when he heard that he was sick, he, stayed, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He found out he was sick, and then he stayed two days longer. Now, if... We're, we're familiar with the story because we've heard it since children, since childhood. But otherwise, what would we be thinking? We'd be thinking, 
He whom you love is sick, therefore you're going to drop everything, cancel any speaking engagements, uh, tell people, sorry I can't come visit at your house, I have a sick friend I've got to go see. I'm dropping everything. That's not what he did. He delays. Why would he do that? Why would he make the sisters go through that grief? Why would he make them go through the process of having to wash their brother's body and prepare it and have a funeral? Why would he delay and make them experience that pain? He didn't even go up there to comfort them. Look at verses 5 and 6 again because they're critical to understanding this passage. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And if you use a pen, I would suggest that you, uh, to help you understand this passage, make, a, make notations here in some way. So when he heard that, that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, depending on your translation, verse 6 may read slightly differently. My Bible says, so, when he heard. The King James doesn't translate that word at all. Some translations say yet. That changes the meaning drastically. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, yet, in spite of that, he stayed where he was two days. But the word that's, that's there in the Greek actually literally means so, therefore, in accordance with. So what, it, what this is saying, listen to it, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Therefore, when he heard he was sick, he stayed two days longer. That's hard to understand, isn't it? Because he loved them, he didn't go and heal Lazarus. Because he loved them, he delayed. Now I want you to get that because his actions towards these, this family are rooted in love. I think parents can kind of understand this. We may have to let a child go through some temporary discomfort for their greater good. We understand it medically. If we have some serious disease, we may have to go through the discomfort of surgery to take care of some ailment for our greater good. A few years ago, some of you may have been here then, I had my wisdom teeth taken out. And at that time... I had actually broken off like the whole side of one of my molars. It was extremely painful. And it was tough to eat. And the, the temperatures, like even room temperature liquids, very painful. If it was cold, I couldn't, I couldn't hack it. And so I had to have my wisdom teeth taken out because it was called a difficult impaction. The roots go down like this. My wisdom teeth were coming in under the, the gums sideways, pressing against the roots. So it was a bad deal. So they went in, did the work, and it was painful after all the meds wore off. I mean, it was bad. And I, my face is all bruised up, looked like I'd been mugged. I mean, it was a bad deal. And and I ran out of pain meds. If you were here, you might remember that. I ran out of pain meds on Saturday. and Or I, I had like one pill left or something like that. And, and I didn't want to be taking it during my preaching, so I was taking ibuprofen and Boy, I was hurt that day, and, and at that time we were having evening services, and so I took the pain medicine in the afternoon. And by the evening service, boy, I was just smiling a bunch, and I, there's no telling what I preached. But that was temporary pain, but you know what? It was for my greater good. That's, that's what Jesus is doing. There's some temporary pain going on, but there's, there's a bigger payoff in the long term. 
Now, we don't know how long Lazarus lived after this. Church tradition says he was 30 when he died, and he lived 30 years after this. How many of us who have lost somebody that we love would have gladly suffered four days of grief if we could have 30 years more with them? And in delaying these two days, Jesus is going to work a singular miracle in their lives because even though he raised people from the dead, he never did anything quite like this. The result was that God, the Son, was going to get greater glory than if he would have simply healed him. Also, if you look at verse 15, this wasn't just for the glory of, of, of God, but also in verse 14, he said to the disciples, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. In other words, your faith is going to be strengthened by this, by this delay. Now, I just want to pause here because we need to think, how do we handle the delays? What do we do when God doesn't answer our prayers when we think he should? What do we do when God doesn't come through for us when we're praying for a certain thing to happen and we just don't see it? Because all too often people give up on God. Maybe you've been tempted to do that. Maybe you know somebody who's gone through some, some trauma, some tragedy, and they've given up on God. They've turned their back on Him. they said, what's the point? They lose faith in God. And we must remember in those times that God still loves us. And those delays, as hard as it may be, they're opportunities for our, strength to be, our faith to be strengthened and for Him to get more glory. As I read this, this week, and I, I was thinking about things, praying about things, I couldn't help but think about our own experience with Jesse. And many of you were here through part of that, or through all of it, and I, frankly, I, I hesitate to tell some of this because I, I, I don't want to come across the wrong way, or like pride, or anything like that. And so I hope you hear it in the spirit in which it's intended. Okay? And the reason I share it is the Bible says basically don't waste your grief. Paul says, Comfort others with which, uh, with the comfort with which you've been comforted. And there are some things that that I learned out of this um, that that are helpful, I think. And as you know, it it was quite a struggle to get Jesse adopted. Three years, four months, and three days from the time that we got the call to the time we got her adopted. That's a long time. And many of you stood by our side. She held us up in prayer. And that meant a lot then, and it means a lot still. Because we couldn't have made it through without people praying for us. And our story had a happy ending, but it always, didn't always look like it was going to. Um, there were ups and downs in the case, and you guys know some of those things, but there were a lot of things that um, we just couldn't tell you guys. But there were times when, when it looked like the, the case was progressing, things were going good. We we're going to get to a doctor, and then all of a sudden it'd take a reversal, and things would go bad, and and then they get real bad. And and the worst part was when she got reunited with her birth mother. Of course, it, it was hurtful for us, but we didn't think it was in her best interest. But we didn't have a say in the matter. And so here we are. We can't have children biologically. We feel that this is what God wants us to do. We feel that God wants us to take Jesse, and she gets removed. We lose her. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't really care too much for the way God was running things. Uh, we prayed, we sought God, we pleaded with Him, we poured out our hearts to Him, we, we poured out our tears. 
And they were tough days emotionally, but I tell you, they were tough days spiritually too. Because, and I know it, it was it, it, it affected people here as well. But it, it was tough because when you when when you deal with this pain, you've got to deal with it in some way, and you got to try to make sense of it. And when you don't have any way to make sense of it, then you have to try to figure it out. And and I would be lying if I said not only that I was happy with the way God did things because I wasn't, but I'd be lying to you if if I said that I didn't get tempted to turn my back on God. And you may, may think less of me as your pastor for telling you that, but it's the truth. There, there was a season of time there when it was a very real temptation to say, you know what, God? If this is the way you're going to do things, I don't want any part of it. And you may, like I said, you may think less of me, but that's, that's real world stuff. And the devil, he'll take the opportunity, any chance he gets, to try and get you to give up on God. And I wrestled with it for some time, but I finally came to four conclusions. First conclusion is this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Even when it didn't feel like it, I could read it and I knew this is God's word. And so I, had, I could have faith that God loved me. Second thing I learned was that it would be the height of stupidity to turn my back on the only one who's able to get me through it. I didn't know why God had brought me to it, but I knew that he would bring me through it. And it would be stupid for me to say, you know what, God, I know you're the only one that's, that's helping me right now, but I'm going to turn my back on you. Stupid. That's what that would be. Third thing I, I decided, I discovered, was that no matter where we were in the case, it wasn't the end of the story. No matter where we were, that wasn't the end. Because unless some tragedy happened, life was going to go on. And me and Scarlett, unless, unless we were in a car wreck or something, we still had life ahead of us, and who knows what that's going to hold. And number four, anytime you quit on God, you quit too early. Anytime you quit on God, you quit too early. And I share that not to prop up myself, but encourage to encourage somebody who may need this message because you're in one of those spots. Our story had a happy ending. And I said many times throughout the case, if we're able to adopt her, it's going to be an act of God. And we were, and it was. And I can't tell you all the details. There's some confidentiality things. But I can tell you this. We saw people who were against us, people who had the power to make this decision, be against us for no reason, and their hearts were changed and they were forced and they were good with it. One because of us. It was God did it. And I as as it was happening, it was, you know, I, I just kept remembering the, the proverb that said that, you know, the, the king's heart's in the, the Lord's hand, he can turn whichever way he wants. Our story had a happy ending. Not every story does, does it? There are certain times that it doesn't happen. And in the midst of those times, in the midst of those delays, we need to remember like these, these women experienced verse 17 to 32, it's okay to complain to God. When, they, when you don't understand, when they, you're frustrated with God, you just don't understand, it's okay to complain because what did both of these sisters do? They got to Jesus, what's the first thing they said? Oh, Jesus, so glad to see you. 
come, come visit. What they say? If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You ever felt like that? God, if you just would have done something, this wouldn't have happened. It's okay to complain. If you read the Psalms, I think that's one of the reasons the Psalms are so powerful is because it just gets real with God. And many times there are complaints there. It's okay not to understand. It's okay to get frustrated. It's even okay to be mad at God and to tell Him so. Because guess what? He knows what you think anyway. He knows how you're feeling anyway. It's not going to do any good to lie to Him. I mean, you can't, you can't complain to your, to your spouse, to your best friend, and then go to the Lord, Oh, Lord, I'm just so thankful for all you're doing. And be, if you're not, don't tell Him you are. He knows it anyway. He's big enough to take it. His ways are not our ways, and we don't understand them. But even as we're complaining, we need to remember this. Look at verse 33. Look at the last part. When he saw that they were all weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. Look at verse 35. Jesus wept, and then look down at verse 38. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within. We need to remember that when, when we suffer, God suffers. When we suffer, God suffers. The Bible says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. We talked about this on Wednesday. He tells us exactly what the Father is like, not just with words, but by the way He acts. And, and I think that as we go through pain, we sometimes think, God is so far removed that this doesn't affect him at all. But it does. It does affect him. What? Verse, verse 35. That's one of the first verses a lot of people learn. Jesus wept. Two words. I, I memorized a verse. All right. Now those of you who say you can't memorize Scripture, I bet you can. You can memorize two words, right? Jesus wept. And we smile at that. Smile at how short that verse is and how easy it is to remember, but man, there's a lot of truth in those two words. Jesus wept. Why did he weep? Well, think about it. Maybe it was because Lazarus, his friend, died. He was getting ready to raise him back to life in like two minutes. That doesn't make any sense. People will come up with all kinds of reasons. I think the reason, uh, there may be more than this, but I think the, the main reason he did it was because, okay, he was entering into our suffering. He saw this family that was heartbroken. He saw these people that were heartbroken and weeping, and it hurt him too. Our pain was his pain. Now, Jesus was going to raise Lazarus back to life because, and this is one of those uh, key passages too, uh, look at. Uh, look at verse 25, and I want to highlight this, verse 25 and 26, because this is one of those signs. Remember, we talked about the water into wine. And so uh, John is recording this because it's telling us a deeper truth. But Jesus tells us what that deeper truth is. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He's saying that I am such the source and possessor of all life that in a matter of days I'm going to display that power over life by affecting my own resurrection. And that anybody who's connected to me through faith can experience that life, not only in the world to come, but in this world now. But he was, he was weeping, I think, because our pain was his. He became a merciful 
high priest who was touched by our infirmities. He went through it like we do. So when we think, oh God, you don't even care about me, just know he's hurting too. Because Jesus told us what the Father was like. So what else, what else does this teach us? Well, it teaches us that God, uh, Jesus answers our prayers in greater ways than we can imagine. Verses 39 to 45. Jesus healed a lot of people. He raised a few who were just dead, but never had he raised somebody who had been dead. Four days and already starting to decompose. Now this is kind of grotesque, but you think about, you've seen like the, the old possum gets hit out on the road out there in the heat, in the sun on a summer day. Just a couple of days, you know, they're great, they, get, they swell up great big. That's what's happened to Lazarus. Four days in the, in the hot desert. He's starting to decompose. And Jesus did such a miracle all that got fixed. He was made well. He, he, he came back to life. He never did this kind of, of, of miracle again. He answered their prayers in a way they could never imagine. And God will do the same for us. Maybe it's going to be working a miracle and change the situation. We've seen that in this, uh, just in this church. We've prayed about things and God changed the situation. But sometimes He doesn't. And I wish I could stand up here and tell you as your pastor, God will give you everything you pray for. It's always God's will to heal somebody. It's always God's will to, to make you happy and wealthy and all these things. But I can't. Not to be honest with you. Because I've stood in, in hospital rooms and I've stood in funeral homes with families who prayed that their loved ones would be well, prayed their loved ones, loved ones would not die, and they got sick, and they got sicker and sicker, and they died. And they're heartbroken because God answered no to their prayers. And in those times, Paul's words ring out true. His grace is sufficient. God loves us even when we can't see how his plan all fits together. Now, I mentioned earlier, I mean, this, this seems kind of disconnected from what I said earlier that I want to talk to you about the final straw for these religious leaders. If you just glance at verses 46 and to 53, look, well, I already read 46, look at 47. Some of the people ran off to the Pharisees what Jesus had just done. Verse 47, Therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the council and were saying, What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. Wouldn't that be great? They said, We can't have people believing that Jesus is God. He's doing miracles. We can't have him trusting that. Crazy, And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. In other words, if people are going to follow Jesus, they're going to end up rebelling against Rome, and they're going to come in and wipe us out. Well, guess what? That happened the next generation later, 70 A.D., because they rejected Christ, not because they received Him. Verse 49, But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that, that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for one uh, for you that one man die for the people, and that the whole nation not perish. In other words, it would be better for us to murder this man than for all of us to die. Verse 51. Now he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. He didn't have any idea what he was saying. He was saying, let's murder him, and God was saying, yeah, you're going to murder him, but it's going to be for the salvation of the people. Verse 52. And not, not the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. 
that was this is the straw that broke the camel's back. They wanted to kill Jesus. In fact, they wanted to kill Lazarus too. You read later on in, in John. They didn't want people following the Lord. Now, why did they do that? Because their hearts were evil. They loved darkness more than light. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That's the sign. He's going to show that later on in his his own resurrection. He showed it a little bit with Lazarus. But bring back to what I've been talking about this whole time, the delays of God. There was a quote that I read this week by uh, a man by the name of Erdman, was his last name. He said, The friendship of Jesus does not protect us from human sorrows, but it gives us the assurance of sympathy and relief. And truer words have never been spoken. If you're a Christian, you're going to go through stuff like everybody else. And sometimes because you're a Christian, it'll happen. But because you're a friend of the Lord, because you're a Christian, He'll give you that sympathy and that relief. And if you're in a crisis today, I want, you, I want to encourage you that God does love you. And if He's delaying and answering your prayer, take heart because it's ultimately for your good. And I know it doesn't feel like it. And when you're going through it, you don't even want to hear it, but it's the truth. And if God's answered no, or He's delayed, or you're grieving today, you're mad at God, you just don't understand, I want to encourage you not to give up on Him. Because any time you give up on God, any time you quit on God, you've quit too early. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I know that in a congregation, a group of people, even this size, there's probably somebody that's gone through some stuff here recently. Maybe a lot of people know about it. Maybe nobody does except for you and God. Maybe some close family and friends. Maybe you've kind of dealt with things, but I just wonder, maybe there's something you're still holding against God. Maybe He's done some work, some miraculous work. He's finally answered your prayers, and you've never gone back to say thank you. You're like, you're like nine of those lepers that got healed, and only one of them came back to say thanks. Now would be a good time to stop and say thank you. Maybe you got something against God. You just need to maybe you just need to quit faking with him and just tell him. I really don't like the way you're doing things. Maybe you're in the midst of one of those crises and and you're got stuff going on with kids, grandkids, work. pray and you've not seen any action and you've experienced what some have called the divine silence when you pray and it seems like heaven is brass wherever you're at it's not the end of the story you don't know what the last chapter is going to be
just come through something. Don't waste it. Take what you've learned. You've been comforted. Comfort somebody else that's going through it. Be that refreshment to somebody who needs it. And I know I haven't really talked about salvation today, but you know what? You might be here and you've never experienced the forgiveness that Christ gives, that He offers. Bible says that whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely. Come to him today. Lord, we're so thankful that you haven't left us as orphans in the world and that even though we face all these things in the world, Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And we're thankful that you give us the strength for the day. The the strength to do all things. And that strength comes from you. And we know that, God. Lord, I pray for each person that's here, that's gone through one of these times, that's in it, or is going to go through it. Help each one in the way that they need. Encourage them. Help their strength, their faith to be strengthened. Bring glory to yourself. Because we don't understand. And we just have to put our faith in you and trust that you've got it under control. We can't work it out. We don't have the power to, to orchestrate things. We've got to leave it with you. And thank you that we can. And we don't have to worry about it. Lord, I ask that you be with anybody maybe who's never accepted Christ as their Savior. Let him become your child today. We ask in Jesus' name.